Welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. I'm Larry Goldman, Chief Analyst at Analysis Mason. And today I'm talking about rural broadband uh, with Andrew Daly, uh, principal in our uh, consulting business. And he's done a lot of work uh, in the area of rural broadband. And today, in particular, we're going to talk about rural broadband technology alternatives. Uh, Andrew, uh, we know that rural broadband is getting a lot of attention to bridge the digital divide in nearly every country. So what does rural broadband actually involve? Sure. Um, thanks, Larry. So I guess just to start off with the the, the key point, which is that broadband for everybody is an essential service of modern life. Um, you know, it supports a wide range of business and recreational um, applications and use cases. But in many countries, the connectivity in rural areas is not the same as it is in urban areas. Um, and that's because low population density in rural areas makes it economically challenging to deploy some types of broadband networks. Um, and so rural broadband initiatives are seeking to address this issue. And as we're going to be talking about today, it's often about choosing the right technology to provide connectivity in those underserved areas. So so we are, we're talking about these alternative technologies, in fact, discussing six different approaches. And so why are there so many different technologies that are worth considering? Uh, yes. <clears throat> well, again, back to that point about um, networks being economically challenging. I mean, in rural areas, often it, it isn't possible to recover the investment, the broad new investment for broadband networks uh, solely based on the uh, commercial returns from end users. And that means that often governments have to step in. So governments have to provide subsidy um, to support these networks. And uh, given that the governments are doing that, it's important to check that a, the right amount of subsidy is used, and also that the networks that are deployed are going to support the government's aims, which are generally for economic and, and social benefit. And this is where the multiple technologies uh, dynamic comes in. Um, so the choice between different technologies is usually a trade-off between cost and performance. Um, but there's also uh, different profiles of costs, like upfront uh, capex uh, versus ongoing opex, and also the length of time um, that uh, an investor needs to wait um, to get a return. Um, and different technologies um, offer, you know, different options in terms of this these range of characteristics. So let's get into specifics to uh, start off. Let's uh, so let's go through what are these six alternative technologies. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So the six we're going to be talking about today are um, fiber to the premises. Uh, then we've got fixed wireless access from uh, what we call macro cells. Uh, we've got another fixed wireless access, which is provided via line of sight. Um, we've got two satellite options. We've got geo satellites and Leo satellites. And then the last one is um, a concept called high altitude platform systems, which was typically referred to as HAPS. Great. So we need to talk about each one of these um, and, and talk about you know why it's why it might be good, what its limits are. So first, let's talk about uh, fiber to the premise. Sure. Um, so as I guess many of the listeners will know, so uh, fiber to the premises uh, involves installing a fiber optic cable all the way from the main network to the end user's premises. And that's typically considered the gold standard for broadband 
performance and networking. Um, once you've got the fiber installed, um, you can deliver very high speeds over that fiber. Um, and it's also quite cheap to operate and maintain uh, once it's in. Um, the problem is that the initial deployment cost is, is typically very high. So in urban areas, um, uh, the business case can work because premises are close together. So the distances are short and there's also lots of premises to recover the, the cost from. Um, it's the opposite case in rural areas. So the distances between premises are very high, which drives up cost, and there are fewer premises from which to recover the investment. And so that means that uh, sadly in rural areas, the cost per premises uh, for fiber to the, to the prem uh, can be prohibitively expensive. You know, with, with 5G, We've heard a lot about uh, fixed wireless access as a way to provide broadband. So where does where does this FWA fit uh, as a rural broadband technology? Yeah, so here we're talking about um, providing a fixed wireless access service from existing mobile sites. Um, so we refer to these as macro cells because they're typically um, uh, large towers um, in rural areas. And this can be quite a cost-effective solution because we're reusing that existing infrastructure, which is which is already there. Coverage in rural areas from mobile networks can be quite good. It's being increased in many countries. Um, and by reusing that uh, infrastructure, it, it keeps our investment costs down. Um, also, because the connection to the premises is provided wirelessly, that's also much less expensive than deploying a fiber uh, the whole way. Um, the drawback with this option is that the speed that you can achieve is typically lower than with fiber. Um, you have multiple users all sharing the same resource, so the spectrum which is deployed um, from that site, and that has a finite capacity, so that provides a cap on the, the speeds that you can deliver. Um, you also get some strong effects with contention, so during busy hours with lots of users um, using that site at the same time, then the speed can, can drop. Uh, even lower. Yeah. And so so you get a lot of fixed users and it can affect the the impact on the ordinary mobile users as well, I suppose. Absolutely. That's that, that's that's something else that needs to be considered. Now the the fixed and mobile um networks tend to have a slightly different profile in terms of when they peak. Um but these are all sort of complexities that need to be thought about with that that option. Yes. Right. So and then there's an another you mentioned another um, fixed wireless, which is we refer to as line of sight. Uh, indeed. So this option actually is is a bit like a compromise between the first two options. So the network ends up looking a bit like a fiber network um, where you have fiber most of the way, but the very last part um, is replaced with a wireless connection from a, a much smaller wireless access point than, than our second option. So uh, compared to fiber to the premises, it's much cheaper to deploy compared to the macro cell fixed wireless access, you get higher speeds. Um, but as the name suggests, uh, we do need an uninterrupted line of sight between the access point and the premises. So uh, we can't have things like trees, buildings, or terrain um, in the way. And we have this same concern about um, multiple users sharing that same uh, uh, wireless access point, um, and so all these things combine together, so that, that we need quite careful planning with this uh, with this solution to make sure we get the right um, the right deployment. And I suppose uh, people can come in and disrupt it, right? You can disrupt the line of sight if you uh, 
don't understand what you're doing, I suppose, or the trees get bigger and so forth. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, well, we have a few more to go through here. So satellites have been getting a lot of attention, recent announcements about satellite phone support. But, you know, satellite uh, providing broadband, it's, it's actually a different thing than, than what we may have been seeing in some of the other headlines, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there are a couple of or two main options here. So, the first one is providing broadband connectivity from geostationary satellites, which uh, we typically call geosatellites. Um, this is quite a well-established solution prov for providing connectivity in very remote areas. So, you can essentially get a broadband connection pretty much anywhere that you can install um, a simple satellite receiver dish. Um, uh, the drawbacks with GEO are um, that the satellites are in quite a high orbit, and so this creates um, a service with quite high latency, and that, that is problematic for some, some applications, not, not all of them, but some of them um, uh, don't like latency very much. Um, also, each satellite can support a very large number of users, so the, the, you know, the satellite might cover um, multiple countries, and with lots of users trying to use a satellite at the same time, this tends to mean that broadband packages on geosatellites tend to come with caps on uh, data use and, and download speeds. Um, a, a, a newer alternative, um, certainly in terms of broadband, are the, the LEO satellites. These are the low Earth orbit satellites. Um, and these are deployed in a, in a lower orbit, as the name suggests, um, in, a, in a constellation of um, hundreds or even thousands of small satellites. Um, and the lower altitude of these satellites means that uh, latency is reduced. And because you've got so many more satellites, the system as a whole has a much bigger capacity, so we can offer um, higher speeds. Um, I, I, I think that one of the main drawbacks is because of that lower orbit, the satellites have to move um, in relation to the surface of the Earth. And that means that the ground terminal equipment has to be more sophisticated and therefore more expensive. And so that, that all feeds into the, the, the total cost of the, of, the, of the solution. Okay. All right. So satellites been... Uh, um around for for quite a while but there are a lot of new innovations push uh maybe satellite it, it just changes that that that's a, it's a it's a moving uh uh situation in terms of what may what's been possible and what's developing and to be possible you know i know our uh, our colleagues at NSR have published quite a bit specifically on this, sometimes referred to broadband as the holy grail of satellite comms, but but they have been waiting quite a while for that to show up. So um, a lot of possibilities there as well. So uh, we have one last alternative, these high altitude platforms. That's right. That's right. So um, HAPS uh, involves providing connectivity from a from an aerial vehicle. So this is a um, piece of equipment located high in the Earth's atmosphere, um, uh, still within the atmosphere, though. So unlike the satellite, which is outside it, and that that vehicle can be uh, a UAV, an unmanned aerial vehicle, a balloon, or an airship. And these um, aircraft uh, would aim to stay airborne for weeks or months at a time. So um, either uh, because they're, they're lighter than air with the balloons or the airships or uh, relying on solar power in the case of, of the UAVs. 
And I, I, in my it's sort of the way I look at it, HAPS is, is, is another compromise. So it gives you a slightly different cost profile to satellite services. Um, the launch costs are much lower, but the system has to come down and be replaced um, more frequently. Um, I, I think the the key point with with HAPS is that there've been some quite well publicized trials of HAPS, but at the current time, I think we'd say the technology and the business models are still being developed and they haven't reached that point where we're seeing large scale deployments. But that's certainly an interesting idea that, that, interesting that we idea. keep an eye on. Yes. Yeah. Right. It does seem like fairly high operating costs, right? There's just this constant attention, right? I think so. I think I th- exactly. I, th- I think that's that's part of the the, the development that's that's taking place is to um, is is to get right. good, good control of those exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Andrew, for going through all six of these. There's a lot to absorb in all this. And fortunately, you've written it down in a paper that discuss uh, that listeners can download. There's a link in the podcast show notes, and and frankly, the the explanations are are more specific uh, that are in, in that written. Uh, document as well. So I encourage you to uh, get a hold of that and and uh, look at that and uh, see the further explanations of how these work. So it, we've we've covered a lot in just explaining the alternatives. Now, you've actually done quite a bit of work, uh, as of some of our other consulting colleagues, to evaluate different scenarios for rural broadband deployment. So tell us about the considerations that lead to choosing one technology over another. I know in, in some cases, countries have chosen to go to a single technology uh, for the whole country. Uh, but but in others, they're, they're trying different technologies depending upon the circumstances. That, yeah, that's that's right. So um, I, I think it does depend on on the, the the specific country. It depends on quite a wide range of factors. And um, I, as I said earlier, it's all about that right choice between cost and performance. Um, I think most countries are trying to push fibers of the premises as far as possible now, um, but there is usually a point at which this becomes too financially difficult and and then the question is what technology or combination of technologies do we use for the remainder and i mean just to recap on some of the the factors that we've we've talked about i think the way to choose the right technology is to is to understand um how these different factors play out so things like what is an acceptable broadband speed for modern living you know that will support um uh, you know aims around economic and social inclusion and ensuring that nobody gets gets left behind um what about alternative existing infrastructure that can be reused to um to uh, you know to keep costs down or to make more efficient use of previous investment um how much subsidy is available and also can that subsidy be used for both upfront and ongoing costs that's a key a key factor which um which a lot of governments are thinking about at the moment and then finally how long can an investor which is typically um uh, a government investor but also the private sector do invest in these types of networks as well how how long can an investor wait to see a return um so if they can wait a long long time then maybe fiber can be made to work but if that's too far too risky then we need to look at some of these other these other options right you know and and andrew it also seem that there's sort of a, a i guess well, we, we, we would expect in developed countries that there's more infrastructure to take advantage of and leverage and, and less developed countries that are still, you know, sort of catching up in much of that. And that and that sort of 
is a factor in these trade-offs, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. As is the um, demand uh, for um, for these services, which plays into you know the the the, the total business case. Because when when we're making these evaluations, we're not assuming that the government or the subsidy. Uh, you know, carries the whole case. You know, yeah. we're looking at, at, at what can be supported commercially, <clears throat> and as you say, in in developed countries, um, the effects of things like coverage obligations on mobile operators are likely to have pushed mobile infrastructure out quite far already. So that's that's a key factor. Um, in developing countries, that will be less less the case. Um, there's also a big impact on the demand side. So the the revenue per user will be much lower in developing countries and also the um the demand uh things like ict literacy might be lower as well although in in most cases that's that's picking up quite quickly now but right. yes it's a it, it is definitely a key dynamic and the um the, the solution in developed countries between different developed countries might end up looking quite similar and that will be re- probably quite different from those in, in developing countries right so there's an awful lot to consider here. We know that governments are actually investing billions to ensure uh, broadband access for the rural communities. So there are a great many considerations for policymakers, network operators, uh, investors, suppliers. So there's just a lot going on uh, and, and some I think some really important decisions that all these different players are, are needing to make in the, uh, in the years ahead. So thanks for sharing your insights, Andrew. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast, and be sure to follow the link uh, to get a hold of Andrew's article, uh, and we look forward to you joining us on a future podcast.